1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more, to subscribe, and while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We have what promises to be a very spirited episode of the show for you <laughs> this week, folks, as we are discussing one of the most divisive and flat-out bonkers Stephen King adaptations ever made. Our guest is an actor, writer, and comedian whose work you've read on Cracked, Polygon, Vulture, and Forbes, though you may have also seen her excellent video essays or her recent Nebula series, Unrated, which tackles the history of sex, sexuality, and gender in film from the silent era to sexploitation to modern erotic movies and everything in between. She's here today to discuss Lawrence Kasdan's 2003 adaptation of Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, which... Well, there's there's much to discuss. There? <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Miss Maggie Fish. Maggie, how are you doing today? Hello. Uh, I'm doing great. I, I woke up early today. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> Everyone, oh, please my God. Clap. Please. Get also, I just realized I call you Miss Maggie Fish instead of Maggie May Fish. I don't know why oh, I did that in your that intro. Is- Hey, okay. It's all, yeah. it's my real, people do ask me if it is like a, you know, a fake name or like a stage name. It's like, no, 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 no. My mom's just very uncreative uh, the day she was giving birth to me. Um, so yes. She, she wrote down Maggie and then she started the M A on the second, uh, E. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah Big Rod Stewart fan, your, your mom? She, you know what? Actually, growing up, uh, she always said no. And then, uh, like last year, she was like, "Well, actually, yeah, I guess that did." I was like, "Why? Yeah, of course, of course it did. It's a lie." It's yeah. one of the most famous like girl name songs that's ever been written. <laughs> Maggie May. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember why we're why we're doing this. Um, I saw you, I, I saw. <laughs> I saw. Um. It's got I, getting I, existential I'm, today. Yeah. Well, no, even no, 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 no. Like, um, I remember. I'm. I'm pretty sure I was inebriated in, one night on Twitter and saw Maggie tweeting yeah. something about Dreamcatcher and was like, "You should come on the show and talk about it." And that's how this started. Um, knowing <laughs> like, full yeah, well, let's do it. I'll come on the show and talk about it. <laughs> um, why were you? What What caused me to ask you to talk about Dreamcatcher? What did you tweet it? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I have watched Dreamcatcher about, I want to say I've watched it about five times um, uh, in my lifetime, which is, uh, I know, probably too many times. Yeah. That's about as many times as we've watched it and we've had to watch it for the show. 
like <laughs> literally did a commentary for it and had to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah, oh, I rewatched God. this morning and oh no, like five you times. Did? Five times is a lot for a person whose job is not to watch Stephen King movies for a living. <laughs> no, <laughs> to volunteer. watch Dreamcatcher. I volunteered to. Yeah, uh, I actually. So this last time I did watch it for uh, a podcast um, with my friend. We. Uh, share movies with each other and the theme was fever dream film and uh i just purely could not think of a more fever dreamish movie than dream catcher um so i watched it yeah. again for the fifth time um yeah uh it's yeah we'll, we'll get into it but that that yeah. is why i was reading about it um uh, just to, i just felt the need to to reach out into the world and see who else had had witnessed <laughs> Nope. I um yeah. I really sh I'm glad you're here and I'm glad we're going to have this conversation but I got to tell you when I was revisiting Dreamcatcher this morning I was furious with myself I'm like why did I fucking why did I bring up Dreamcatcher again yeah, I cannot yeah you're this the one that chose this you know not yeah this why. is this is more or less my fault so I have no <laughs> one to uh no one to blame on this one but uh, um, yeah I was a little curious because like there are a few titles uh Maggie that we have kind of moratoriums on because we've e either talked about it way too much or didn't feel like we had much else to say or you know in the smaller cases like Dreamcatcher uh we just don't want to fucking do it anymore <laughs> we don't want to revisit it uh and this was on there obviously and and so when Scott's like yeah we're talking Dreamcatcher I'm like cool all right I'm I'm always down but uh but you know Scott in particular will get really like I'm just done talking about this stuff <laughs> well I'll and, tell you what probably happened I was probably uh, drunk lurking the fucking UFO subreddit, <laughs> you know, oh, as I have been doing lately because I'm, you know, I'm mm -hmm. fucking hooked through the bag and back on this whole uh, UAP thing that's going on. I'm just fascinated by it. So I was probably, I probably already had aliens on the brain. And then I saw a, a, an opportunity to talk about <laughs> aliens on the show. I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah, that's, that's probably, if I had to predict or had to guess, I'd say that's what was going on in the uh, synapses of my brain in that particular moment. Um, what do you make of all that stuff, by the way? You believe in aliens? Not so much. Oh, I mean, I, like, yeah. In the, I definitely believe in the abstract concept. Sure. For, uh, but actually, one of my dear friends um, uh, last year moved from L.A. to the middle of Texas, um, actually, like, mm -hmm. up in the panhandle. Um, and she texted me all the time, like in the middle of the night um, about uh, just like sounds that she hears or, you know, just like uh, weird lights or whatever. Um, so I am her go to uh, confidant when it comes to um, alien activity. Uh, yeah. So in a way, I feel very connected. <laughs> yeah, but you're not so much buying the story about the, uh, the government cover up. You think I that's uh, not so much buy that one guy? I just don't. That dude, yeah, I, I, I don't trust him yet. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's my only thought on it. But like Fair the enough. idea of aliens, for sure. Um, and like if we have them, pretty dope. I do like that. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do like that. It's real enough that like there's hearings before Congress, kind of shit, yeah. you know, versus just yeah, just crackpots on on Reddit, but. Uh, uh, you know, or, you know, no, no, uh, shade to your friend, you know, people living out in the middle of nowhere that, you know, get bored oh, yeah, and, yeah. and try to try to find excitement anywhere. Um, there's a reason I'm saying that that happened with your friend. Maybe, oh, maybe they're seeing real things, but, uh, 
you know, for a lot of times when you hear the recountings of, of people from like small town Kentucky or something that see lights in the sky, it's like this is the highlight of their year and you can tell that, right? So, <laughs> so it just becomes a little suspicious where it's like, no, you really want to believe right. this no matter what. Um, but yeah, no, it is. It's, this does feel different because now, now we're actually having public hearings and shit about it. So, you know, as long as they're friendlier than the shit weasels or <laughs> Mr. Gray or any yeah, of the delightful characters yeah. we meet in Dreamcatcher. I, I think we'll be all right. That reminds me, you know what? I know I'm getting ahead of us a little here, but I thought mm-hmm. of a, a nice thing to say about this movie. Oh, I was watching it today. I, I really like the design on the, the alien ship that's like crashed mm. in the ground. I oh, think yeah. it looks cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, oh, man, I never think of positives when I watch this movie. So that's, no. <laughs> that's a good no, one. But I would, the, the version of it, I watched today. Um, I had to rent it. Uh, I think it used to be on HBO, but it. I don't know if the quality was better than what I'm used to seeing or or what. But I got a good eye full of that that ship and was like, "That's hmm, that's pretty cool looking." I will, be, <laughs> I will begrudgingly admit this to the makers of Dreamcatcher. But uh, yeah, the rest of it was a total wash. But for about ten seconds there. It was very, mm-hmm. Yeah, very there's 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 that. a few things in the Dreamcatcher lore that uh, that can stand up. Morgan Freeman's eyebrows, well, whatever yeah. decision that was, well, that was a, the correct say, one. That's the um, one I hold dear. To Jason life. Lee's ability to uh, uh, to mouth a toothpick, you know, not everybody mm-hmm. can do it that well. You know, yeah, he must have good actor. He, yeah, must have done the method, you know, thing with that. So. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. and the and the ufo there we go we got three already we, we can wrap this up we're done this is a <gasps> critical reappraisal of dream treasure <laughs> um maggie tell us about tell us a little bit about unrated um you recently wrapped on that or am i wrong yes no yeah uh so we wrapped on season one um not sure yet if there will be a season two or if, uh, we're going to decide to do something else. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's um, six episodes on the history of sex and gender in movies. Um, and each episode uh, focuses on a particular director. And uh, we analyze three of their films. Um, just kind of talk about how they construct gender and sexuality in their movies. Um, yeah been really fun to work on. i am i imagine somebody that's devoted to themselves to this kind of a show also has an opinion on the ongoing debate or i shouldn't say there's much of a debate but the sentiment that sort of pops up on social media from time to time about sex scenes in movies being unnecessary mm. what, what do you what do you make of that yeah. phenomenon Actually, I the reason we started this series was because of that sentiment. Um, <laughs> uh, that and also uh, Soderbergh saying that he could never direct a Marvel movie because people don't fuck in Marvel movies. Um, right. Which is just uh, hilarious. And for him, mm-hmm. true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 when people say that it doesn't have to do with the plot, I, I'm like... Well, yeah, but like a lot of things in movies don't directly always deal with the plot. I I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. Um, I love sex scenes, so I feel like I'm so fine (laughs) with that. Like, uh, my opinion almost like doesn't even matter. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, to me, the problem with sex scenes are not 
the sex scenes, it is usually either uh, the person directing it um, Mm -hmm. or like the conditions on set. Like those are the things that, you know, make it a problem for me. But oh my God. Yeah. Like stick an ethical sex scene in any movie and at least intimated it improves the quality uh like if dreamcatcher had several sex scenes would we not all be smiling right now it would certainly be more interesting yeah the the mr gray and dudded though you don't you don't uh that's very problematic no interspecies they seemed like you know they you know they had something going on well i guess i guess by you know by the movie's logic though they're both aliens right so yeah. yeah, there you yeah. go. It's a, it's a, it's it's kind an X-rated ET. He's kind Ooh. of Mr. Gray's side piece. I think that's that's all I'm. That's why he's revenge in the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though that that whole kind of discussion about like oh it's not crucial to the plot. Like I've noticed that you know maybe it's just because social media is giving everybody an equal platform, you know, an equal mm. amount of weight. But I've noticed that there's a huge rise in people who just fundamentally don't understand storytelling, but are talking mm-hmm. about it like they do. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. like to your point, it's like not, not every story is about a to B to C, you know, uh, uh, all the way to the end, you know, it, not every story is like the Raiders of the lost Ark map where you have to draw a dot from everything, you know, every <laughs> single place that you're going, you know, some of it's a character study. Another. It's like, sorry, what was that? Oh no, just <laughs> drawing dots from one sex scene to the other. <laughs> Well, but, ma- yeah, yeah, maybe in in the early '80s or late '70s, you you could do that. Uh, but you know, but yeah, a lot a lot of storytelling, and you know, one of the things that I love about King so much is is all about character. You know, it's a characterization and an awkward sex scene. You know, done in an awkward way. You know, speaks to character. A, a successful, mm-hmm. you know, hot sex scene. You know, speaks to character. It's just a tool. You know, to to yeah. be used now. You know, much to your point, I totally agree that it's a tool that has to be done carefully like you know like working with a dangerous animal on set or working with children or you know you have to make sure that the actors are are protected that's you know that's just filmmaking 101 and you know and i think people especially within the industry are waking up to that now with 80 percent of uh, everybody embracing the uh the onset uh, intimacy coordinators and stuff yes. like that and then the 20 percent mm-hmm. going i just want to put my hands wherever you know <laughs> uh <laughs> no, I, I don't know, but uh, I, I, I've noticed that that kind of it, it goes back to one of Scott's favorite kind of talking points is media literacy is is so yes. low right now. Mm. And, and but people are talking uh, about it as if they know what they're talking about. You know, yeah. it's, it's a, I don't know. I've seen this kind of conversation spring up around the strike, too, and people just not understanding you know, actually how the business works and, you know, and, and trying to go because Jim Carrey makes $20 million actors don't need more money. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. all all this kind of shit, like just people fundamentally don't have an understanding of how things are run, but they still want to, you know, talk about it anyway and feel like they have to have an opinion. Yeah. Well, Well, it's interesting. I mean, like everyone consumes movies. So like in a way, you know, if someone is a, a consumer, uh, I mean, it, it makes sense that they would think that they understand it, you know? Right, but right. But again, goes back to media literacy. Someone should tell them you don't, but... <laughs> oh, well, you, you know, know, I was actually thinking about this because, you know, I came of age as a movie fan, like, at the tail end of the... Well, I guess not. I lived through the the prime VHS era and cable era and whatnot, you know, but I was like 
you know, graduating high school around the time DVDs were coming out. Right. Um, and so there was this incredible period where DVD sales were so crazy that they just kept packing more and more stuff. And if you look at almost any DVD for any random movie that came out between, say, 1999 and 2006, each one of them is a film school, right? Each one of them has mm-hmm. hours of behind the scenes, you know, stuff. Each one of them has yes. multiple commentaries mm-hmm. where they're talking about how movies are made in, in the streaming era that just doesn't exist. And I've actually noticed a kind of a rise in people that was also around the time all the movie blogs were rising and you can, you, you can uh, criticize movie blogs and back in the day as much as you want. And it is wholeheartedly deserved, but the <laughs> crop of writers seem to know more about, um, storytelling and more about filmmaking in the industry than uh, a lot of the people that are the bigger voices now that which are more on the influencer side not to shit on influencers you know they they definitely have oh, their no. place but you know <laughs> but but you know what i mean it's like it, it feels like that that's probably not disconnected i think that there's there was a a thirst or a hunger for finding out about you know how all that stuff was made back when uh, you know, I was getting super immersed into all that. That just isn't there now a lot because of availability. There just isn't discs out. You know, mm-hmm. Netflix didn't release uh, the season of Stranger, the first season of Stranger Things with in-depth, you know, behind the scenes and, and episode by episode commentary on on stuff. You know what I mean? It's like people people just don't have access to that anymore. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Actually, in fact, uh, <laughs> when I was trying to figure out how and why Dreamcatcher uh I did watch all of the behind the scenes uh, footage that they um, shot uh, and the deleted scenes. We right. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, so informative. And you're right. Yeah, those don't exist anymore. Um, but people still, I mean, probably even more than ever have a craving to understand um, film, yeah. which I think is very un- understandable. Uh, and in lieu of getting a very expensive degree that. Um, you know, we'll sit on a shelf unless you uh, make a YouTube channel talking about it. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, yeah, it's, it can be hard to get that information um, from a reliable source. Yeah. It's funny. We're talking about this because every time we cover Dreamcatcher on the show, I go to the Wikipedia page. Oh, thank you, computer. I go to the Wikipedia page for uh, the movie and because every time I'm watching it, I'm like, I got to f- what happened here? I need to I need to talk to or I need to hear what went on behind the scenes on this. And there's like no information on the fucking Wikipedia page. Yeah. for this movie. In that sense, it would be really helpful if I if I could get a look at those making of materials or behind. <laughs> oh, my God. I will send them to you. After Very today. nice. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm endlessly curious about what what went wrong on this one? Because it's oh, like yeah. on paper, it should be a great movie and it's just, it's just not. Um, so any insight to that process would be welcome, but we're, we are once again getting ahead of ourselves. Let's we're uh, so eager to talk about Dreamcatcher. We keep going chomping at the bit here. Oh, you can't wait. Um, Maggie, what is your Stephen King origin story? Great question that you only ask me. Uh, yes. You're a very special guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just, that one's just for you. I, I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gr- the first time I, I think I heard Stephen King was uh, my dad explaining his fear of clowns to me and where that came from. Uh, 
Because I came to, I, oh, well, actually, also, my grandma worked at McDonald's. So uh, I think one day my dad just told me, like, yeah, I'm deathly, like, afraid of clowns. And that was so confusing to me. And I was like, why? Uh, and then he said, well, there's this author, uh, Stephen King, and he wrote a book called It. And he told me the entire story uh, and all about uh, Tim Curry's uh, chilling performance uh, in the uh, TV movie. And... Um, yeah, so then I think from that day on, I was also afraid of clowns because my dad is very good at uh, recounting stories. Um, so yeah, he spread that fear to me, um, and then I got over it because uh, I loved McDonald's and I was not going to not get it <laughs> from my grandma. Um, but uh, the impression state, and my dad, uh, you know, is a was and still is a huge reader, so he would just kind of you know eat books for breakfast and lunch and dinner. Uh, so he would read all of the Stephen King books um, and a bunch of other books. But uh, yeah, so whenever he was reading one, I'd have him uh, recap the plot to me. Um, never saw him read Dreamcatcher, though, in retrospect. <laughs> and thank God, who knows what fears would have come from that. <laughs> and you told us that you've read on writing, but that Dreamcatcher is the only Stephen King novel that you've read, which is very unique. We have talked to hundreds of people over the course of doing this show, and I don't think we have ever met a, a dream catcher uh, soloist, basically. Wow. Like, that's that's yeah. all. Yeah. You've seen the movies, but only that novel. It's, it's, yeah. it, did you read on writing first? I did, yeah. I read uh, on writing, I think, in uh, college. Um, and I read Dreamcatcher like a month ago, uh, and I listened to a little bit more of it before this podcast. Um, yeah, those are the only two. Yeah, I, I actually had never thought about how weird that is that I have like avoided reading a Stephen King book um, up until very recently, and it happened to be this one. Uh, I don't know how I did that, but I did, and uh, I'll await for my trophy to be shipped to this address. I think it's funny that you read the book where King lays out some very cogent and, you know, well-respected advice on the written form. Yeah. And then you read the book that he wrote on Oxycontin and Ooh. he doesn't remember writing or like, doesn't yeah. like it. It's like the worst example that you could have gone yeah. from after, <laughs> after on writing. That's, that's very funny. It's so bad. Yeah. The writing really was, I feel like I almost don't even want to read his good stuff because I, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin what, what a singular experience reading Dreamcatcher was. It, um, it reads like something that was written on painkillers. I, I remember when I had my wisdom teeth pulled out, uh, like coming home, I was living with my parents uh, and writing like an email to a friend of mine that was like, I don't remember doing this, but the next day he called me and was like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, why? And he was like, well, that email you sent last night and I read it and it was fucking pure gibberish. Just <laughs> absolute, absolute like stream of consciousness, nonsense, didn't make any kind of sense. Um, yeah, he must have thought I fucking had a psychological break. Uh so I, that was an email. This is like a 600 page fucking novel. I don't, the, the man is superhuman uh, uh, to produce something that is even remotely like, uh, I don't know, Legible. understandable. Yeah. 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 But 
anyway, um, you had you you did also tell us that you've seen a lot of the um, a lot of the King movies, if not all of them. Do you have uh, some favorites, least favorites? Oh wow, it's so funny because I I mean all of them kind of do like meld together and kind of just like an eighties medley in mm-hmm. my head. Uh, so I mean, actually, the Tim Curry it is you know still pretty great. Um, pretty wild uh i liked the the new it's mm-hmm. um uh, you know i liked those fairly well i uh i actually enjoyed dr sleep which i oh yeah I'm, i don't know if that's controversial i mean it is like so weird that sometimes it's, i'm like wait do i like it no i do yeah um, you're yeah. well you say it's controversial which is interesting because within the king like our little small king cast like bubble community it is like uh-huh. considered one of the top like adaptations right. of all time, but like okay, cool, it is great. a movie that that like it, like people love Flanagan and they they love what that movie specifically does. But it's something that like general audiences like I don't think have appreciated and maybe will ever appreciate. Just right, you know, where it is this kind of you know olive branch between the King books and the King mm-hmm. written word and and the Kubrick aesthetic in the movie you know and how successful that is I don't know if that will ever register you know for people right. uh, you yeah. know and, and that's kind of where the genius of that adaptation comes from you know that makes sense yeah, yeah. I mean it just feels very faithful uh in a way that isn't detrimental where some of them are faithful to the point of being detrimental yeah uh, to the movie yeah yeah it's uh it's it's kind of a miraculous movie um you know kind of outside of our little king realm like people uh-huh. people like that movie like came and went you know people just don't really think yeah. about it or talk about it you know in, in, at all also people i think especially if you know not within the king reverse uh if you will i think they just don't like it that it touches the shining even though obviously mm. it has to is it you know i think people just like leaving it like pure and alone which i don't care about that <laughs> right. I, I love the shining you know i also love that movie but yeah i don't need it i don't need it on pedestal this is great <laughs> one one little note on doctor sleep is if you like doctor sleep uh, mm-hmm. seek out the director's cut, which is much Ooh. longer, but I think it's the better version of the movie. You oh, know, it's no, it's more like a three-hour job, whereas in theaters, I think it was like 2.15, 2.30, something like that. So it, yeah. it, it adds in quite a bit, and uh, I think the whole thing just flows better for it. Yeah, but, it's kind of like the Lord of the Rings <clears> extended <throat> versions, where even though they're longer, some, somehow they flow better, so they feel shorter. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, wow. Oh, yeah. great. Well, I'll check it out. You definitely should. Okay, so Dreamcatcher. Yeah. Um, Maggie, for, for anyone who's listening who has not had the pleasure of either watching or reading Dreamcatcher, would you be willing to lay out the general plot of the movie? <laughs> you know, I don't I mean, need, like, not beat by beat, scene by scene, but, like, give us an right. overview. Spoilers are fine. Yeah. Totally. Oh, man, I was horrified you were going to ask me to do this only because this is <laughs> this movie for t- oh my god how do you okay yes uh i will yeah, i'm excited uh, to hear you try okay no okay um okay yeah so uh so there are four friends four friends uh there are four friends and they have been friends for oh so long they grew up in dairy uh every year they uh go on a hunting trip um, and this year when they go, 
something weird is happening. Uh, this guy visits them and they never see other people on this trip. Um, and their old friend that they don't talk to and seem, they seem to outcast him is still back in Derry. Uh, they don't want to talk about it. Um, and then uh, aliens come uh, around the end of Act One. Uh, what's his face? Um, uh, Jason Lee uh, gets murdered by aliens. Um, and then the story continues. And then eventually uh, Morgan Freeman shows up um, and he's with the military and they're hunting the aliens. And uh, one of the aliens takes over uh, one of the four boys is by slash mind, but he's actually still in his own mind, in his mind palace, a la Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> um, and this all culminates in them finally getting that fifth friend that they have ostracized for so many years, uh, uh, who's on his deathbed, um, coincidentally, uh, to save the human race by making the other alien go home because actually their friend who they don't talk to anymore is an alien and pretty sure that's it. <laughs> Very, well. Very well done. Thank you. That's, Thank you. That really captured the magic of, of Dreamcatcher, <laughs> I think. Um, now, I've already, you know, we've, we've already said a couple of nice things, but let's let's start with all the positives up top do we have other nice things that we can say about this movie eric and i have already kind of spoken to this man right man, but maybe maybe you can mm. you can tell us some of the things you like about Dreamcatcher. sure you know i uh <laughs> um watching it I, I will say is very fun because it's so surprising because uh the scenes seemingly don't flow from one to the other in a uh, I would say like normal like logical sense um, you're right <laughs> so at least I was I'm always like shocked and surprised what the next scene is even though I have seen it five times mm -hmm. I forget every single time um because there's no real logic to it so uh it, it always catches me off guard in a fun way um, Very backhanded compliment, but but we'll take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the actors are really trying their hardest. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them succeeding very well with what they were given. Uh, <laughs> one of the behind the scenes moments is Jason Lee explaining his character. And I need to send this to you because I need your opinion. But to me, it looks like he's barely holding back a laugh as he is saying out loud uh, the plot of the movie. Um, <laughs> that like he knew what kind of movie this was going to be. Um, I don't know if the other actors did. I don't, I especially don't think the directors did, but I think those are all my, all my positives. Welcome to the mid-roll ad read, everybody. Today's sponsor is once again our friends at Scapes Action Figure Displays. Now, these are the personalized displays that are built to make your action figures look even more badass, be they DC, Marvel, or even some Stephen King-related goodies. 
For instance, they have a sewer set you can place your Pennywise action figure in to make him look even more at home. My personal favorite of their Stephen King stuff is the Red Rum Door from The Shining. Uh, I got that one. It looks great. It's made of high quality material. You know, sometimes if you get some stuff off of Etsy, the quality could, uh, you know, not be the best. And uh, I will <laughs> say that the I will say that the the scape stuff that uh, that I have seen and I personally have and display in my home uh, is just as high quality of, as any of the toys that you'd want to display with and they take pride in that so i can personally vouch for the red rum door i love it it provides a great backdrop for your personal copy of the book or the movie but if superheroes are your jam they have you covered there too they have light up kryptonite and a rooftop set perfect to display your brooding batman action figure you can see all these items and more including costumes and digital art at etsy.com shop slash scapes figures or you can search for action figure displays on etsy your number one place for customer made items that's etsy.com slash shop slash scapes figures and as a nice little treat if you mention kingcast 15 in the coupon code area you get 15 percent off your order what a bargain very well done eric let's get back to the show This is something to that we always have to bring up is like you just have to remember like putting this into context in 2003 when when uh, this was released like Lawrence Kasdan the script you know he co-wrote the script and directed the movie and he you know directed the big chill you know classic yeah. he wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark you know classic uh, <laughs> and he co-wrote the script with William Goldman one of the greatest screenwriters of all time who mm-hmm. has a good track uh, record with Stephen King because William Goldman also wrote Misery, the screenplay for yeah. Misery, right? So it's like just this. Th- there's no way this could have lost, right? <laughs> you know. What? And then if you look at the if you look at the cast, not only you know from you know at that point, but like looking back on it, Damian Lewis is now a really big and well respected actor. Timothy Oliphant is mm-hmm. w- more famous and well known. Now it's just like, you know, Jason Lee, maybe not so much, but Jason Lee at that time was, you know, super, he was being poised to be like, you know, kind of a, a big star coming off of the Kevin Smith shit. You know, this is, I guess, right before my name is Earl. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's kind of at the height of, ahead of his powers. And, you know, then you have Shawshank's Morgan Freeman in here. You got Thomas Jane, you know, it's like, it seems like this is the project that was going to be the next hot shit, right? Like, in, absolutely, yeah. But I, I have to say that even with all that that stuff, and I was tracking this as like I was really well into the movie blogging thing around this time when this movie was coming out. I was traveling to sets and interviewing actors and directors and reviewing weekly movies. Like, I, I was like in the middle of this, so I was tracking this project. And even then, being the reader, I was just like, how the fuck are they going to make this book work? Right. And, and I guess, guess they didn't, but like, but if you, but if you're, I don't know if Scott, if you remember the time, like people were excited about this, like people were talking, like the trailer had come out and like people Uh. were, people were like, Oh wow, this could be, this could be really good. But like, I don't know if any of those people that I remember doing that are people that I would consider Stephen King readers. So it's very possible that again, I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember any of that. Um, no, I remember when it came out because I remember going to see it and. Oh, wow. You saw it in theater. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you wow. bet your ass oh, I did. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. And, I, and furthermore, I dragged um, uh, a buddy of mine that. Uh, a buddy of mine that I went to military school with. 
was him and his boyfriend and we went and his boyfriend was very, how do I put this? Extremely overdramatic about everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And like, I remember seeing this with them and like, as soon as the movie ended, uh, his boyfriend, who was named Jonathan, going, that was the worst movie I've ever seen, like as loud as he could in the theater. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, people just laughed, you know, like I, I remember the the crowd coming out of that movie just kind of muttering muttering to themselves like oh, what a piece of shit that was. <laughs> you know, that's that's my predominant memory of of the Dreamcatcher release. I don't remember but, any mm-hmm. any hubbub about it beforehand. I mean, but it, it stands to reason that what you're you're saying is true because of the the level of talent that was you know brought to bear on this thing. Yeah. All for naught, as it turns out. But you know, it's um. It's it's a really strange beast. This, you know, I was arguing with Eric before the before the show about whether or not Dreamcatcher is quote interesting. Uh-huh. Um, mm. But I'm realizing as we're talking about this, it is interesting in the sense that it would be. I, I would have to sit and think of another movie that had this much talent on paper to start with, and this kind of a budget and the full weight of the studio behind it, and absolutely did not work from from top to bottom. Right. Like, can you yeah. think of another movie that's on this level in that sense? Fuck. Um, I mean, there. Uh, what's the uh, what's that Akiva Goldsman movie? Uh, uh, I don't <laughs> know which one of them. I know which one. It was the one Is that it the he winter directed. one with with yeah. Will Smith. Uh, yes. Fucking what was that called? I never saw that. That one jumps to mind. Um, the that McConaughey Serenity movie. But but even that's on, you know, that that's you don't have the the prestige as much behind the camera. Right. Like this is exactly again, you're legitimately you have the best one of the best screenwriters or two of the best screenwriters of not just, you know, the 80s and 90s, but like of all time. You know, they mm-hmm. William Goldman is his books on screenwriting have been more influential than just about anybody else, you know, any other specific screenwriter, you know, in the history of screenwriting. You know, it's mm-hmm. like these are people who know their shit adapting one of the most prolific and successful authors and uh, this is kind of and this is what we get and and like to your point this they had a budget. Like I just looked it up, they had almost 70 million dollars to make this movie. Um, and I just don't know what exec fucking read that book and, you know, and said, you know what, this is a, we're going to put $70 million behind this. Get me Goldman and Kasdan. You know? They must have like, not read it. I feel like, because yeah. I mean, reading it, I just, it just feels like there's no way. And even uh, another thing they said in the behind the scenes, uh, uh, Lawrence Kasdan said that, Goldman did, um, you know, the first couple of drafts and, uh, and he, you know, left out a lot of details of the book and Lawrence, uh, was positive that they could keep them in. So he did another version, which is closer to, uh, the final version, uh, which added a bunch of stuff back into the script from the book, uh, which is the only answer I could find as to like, how, how, how. How huh. um, yeah, yeah, I really wonder what those early drafts were because they they can't have been worse for and what? like if if you're gonna adapt any Stephen King book and depart from the source material, this is one to do it with. Fuck you know, yeah, it like, is. It, I mean, and listen, like I I don't hate Dreamcatcher the book. Uh, 
when I mm. revisited it, I mean, I, I, I don't love it either. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not about to mount a, a rousing <laughs> defense of that book. It is, it is a big old sloppy mess, but you know, there's some really fun stuff in there that you could, if you just decided to divert from, from all the weirdness of the dud, you know, the dudit stuff and the stuff that just just feels clunky and doesn't work. Uh, mm. You know, there is a really interesting like friends alone in a cabin during an alien invasion story. You could tell like a really like okay. I, I'm thinking kind of in the the tone of like signs or something, right? Where it's just people isolated as an invasion's happening and like what do they how do you you deal with that like but you would you know you'd have to really radically depart i think for any any kind of movie to make any sense um so yeah i don't know maybe that and that's why i think this movie's so fucking interesting uh is because they didn't we there were multiple things they could have focused on the obsessive colonel kurtz military you know attack yeah. of the aliens and they don't like they could have uh focused on a billion different things but instead they just follow all the mistakes of the novel and the mistakes of the novel are that they're just everything. So scattershot and, and even though it's connected, none of it really flows together in a satisfactory way. You know, it's like they, so we get like this direct adaptation of, of one of King's most scattershot novels. It'd be like getting a direct adaptation of the Tommy knockers, you know, even the TV movie, Tommy knockers as bad as it is, you know, was streamlining a lot of that shit. You know, <laughs> You know, I don't know. It's it's bizarre. Yeah, Maggie, really you've read the the novel. If you were going to adapt this, mm-hmm. oh god, you know what what sort of changes might you make? Oh, Do you my have god. any ideas in terms of streamlining this bad boy? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think one of the things that is interesting per se about uh, the movie and book is that it does feel like five different movies crammed into one because uh, they like don't really set up the aliens then suddenly there's aliens and they don't really set up the military then like suddenly there's military um uh and they don't resolve the friends portion of the movie even though that's what we began with right. uh so I think, like, of all the options contained within this one film, you know, I'd, pr- I'd probably go with what you said, you know, friends connecting in the woods. Um, again, I think it's really funny that they have just, like, ostracized their, like, fourth friend and, like, don't hang out with them. Like, I think that's so dark. And in the movie, <laughs> they don't seem to realize, like, how, like, uncool. I don't know. That's just, like, cruel um, <laughs> and weird. And the movie seems unaware of that, but I think that to me is like part of the horror of this. And maybe it's even more horrifying that they don't think that that is weird. And like, we don't really know why other than I guess, um, you know, he's disabled. So we're like supposed to be under, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So all to say, I think I would focus on the friends problem. Um yeah. But wow, is that a tall order to to adapt that? Oh, man, but even that, it's just like, you know, each friend gets their own very specific, you know, superpower. Uh, and but but they're like, they're so like weird. And like, it reminds me of Patton Oswalt has a bit about like about uh, 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 how Jesus would have been like the best X-Men or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Like, but he never would have been, uh, he would have been too humble to like pull out his, his best material. Right. So he wouldn't be like, Oh, if somebody dies, just bring him back to the mansion. I can raise him back up, you know, from the dead and boom, back in the fight. But he wouldn't say that He'd be Like, Oh, well there's this time where I made people were really hungry and I made sure everybody had a nice lunch. 
you know, it's like that, that would have been more, more a style. And that reminds me of these, these guys' powers, like the twirly invisible line finger, you know, bit it's like, it, it is so fucking weird and ridiculous and it doesn't translate at all on screen. Um, I don't know. It's like he, the friends have to be the focus, but like giving them all these superpowers, like just doesn't, doesn't work. You're like, I would have, to, I would even pair all that shit back. And it is just, a, you know, kind of a big chill esque drama, except what if in the middle of mm-hmm. these friends getting back together, uh, an alien invasion happened. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that, mm-hmm. that to me is like, that is the interesting take on adapting this and i'm sure that there's a lot of people listening that would radically disagree because you know uh, the identity of this book you know is in its sloppiness it's in that that messy weird things don't really connect but it's also really violent and gross and you know and it goes in a billion different directions and that's kind of the personality of it and people might argue with me and and i welcome this but they might argue and say that that's you know what makes this title interesting and why you'd want to adapt it anyway so um but I just feel like in terms of making a good movie, you'd have to hyper focus on on one of those aspects. Um, mm-hmm. The mind palace doesn't fit in, you know, in yeah. that story. Right. So I think you could do most of it. But my fir- my first order of business adapting this is removing duddits wholesale. Oh, God. Mm. You're yes. out. Duddits hit the bricks. Like Donnie. I doubt it. So many of the problems that I have with this are tied to duddits. You know, the whole thing, the, the, the whole fucking duddits thing just doesn't work. And it's, it's weird and it's kind of uncomfortable to watch. And like, you know, I just, I don't like it. I don't like the whole thing. So I, so I think if you just, you you could make the argument that like, well, duddits is the one that ultimately, yeah, there's a way to write around that. You know what I mean? Like have it be about the friends. They come to the. They come to the cabin in the woods. Alien invasion occurs. Now, now we bring fucking what's his name? Um, Morgan Freeman and uh, his eyebrows. Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Tom Sizemore. That's what I was. Yeah. And the eyebrows. Yes. And, yeah, well, that, that's what his eyebrows are called. One is Tom. The other one Sizemore. So. <laughs> um, get them involved. And now it's, you know, uh, you can still have one of the aliens take over one of the friends. Right. You know, but we don't need to monkey around with all this duddits business and the flashbacks to their childhood. No, oh, just, God, I forgot about those. Yeah. No. Yeah. Those are real fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of bullies got duddits with his pants pulled down trying to make him eat dog poop or something. I don't fucking know. It's like, no, just get get all of that out of there. And I think that would instantly make it way better. And, uh, you know, it would lose that a very large element of the book. So it wouldn't be very (laughs) faithful, but I think that would clean things up nicely. Right. Well, I mean, we, we can see that the mostly faithful, I mean, there, there are some pretty dramatic changes uh, in this adaptation, but it's for the most part, it's, it's fairly, it's fairly faithful. And we saw how that turned out. So like, I think the, the biggest changes is that they made, they brought Duddits in for the finale, you know, with the final showdown or whatever. And, and he turns out to be an alien, which like isn't in the book at all. He dies like he okay. he just dies on the yeah. way to the fucking thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, I don't I don't know. It's this this movie and and like Duddits in particular. Like, listen, if we lost Duddits, then we lose our rallying cry, which I would miss because you know, like you know, right? What else do we have? No, I, you know, we it's it's fun to kind of make fun of of the 
the the I did it's you know kind of thing uh but you know it's also again it's it's, it's when you do that you're kind of um bordering on the problematic because it's uh uh you know it it's it's not great to be getting enjoyment out of making uh fun of of a mentally disabled person's exclamation you know what i mean so oh absolutely there's uh, there's another one of the deleted scenes uh which is very odd that they kept it as a deleted scene because it's almost like oh technically a blooper but it's a scene when they're in the car and donnie Wahlberg breaks character as done it breaks character to like restate his line so the actor can like understand what he's saying it's Tom oh, Jane. someone oh someone posted i said that i was watching dreamcatcher on twitter this morning and someone yeah linked me to that video i'd never seen it before it was funny as shit it's definitely uh, like a blooper thing yeah because tom uh. jane starts fucking around in the scene because he's like it's gonna destroy the world and tom jane's like even the northern hemisphere and he's like yes yeah. and he's like the southern hemisphere yes <laughs> The Bay Area? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, fucking, it's really funny. Yeah. But it's oh. weird because it's like, clearly, I know what you mean, because it's, if it's in the deleted scenes, that confuses the situation. Right. Because it feels like a blooper thing, but it's also cut and fully edited, like an actual scene. <laughs> oh, my God. One worm. Back at our cabin, I saw the worms that come out of these weasels. Mr. Gray must want to get one into the Boston drinking supply. Just one worm can infect the whole world. Not just Boston. Not Massachusetts. Or the Northeast. You mean it's not a regional problem? No. Are you talking west of the Mississippi? Yes. Got it. What? Southern Hemisphere, too. Dude, I said unarm ill earl. Are we going right? You shut up, Owen. You'll be dead in half an hour anyway. So weird. It also it also made me think that there there is like also a satirical version of this. Mm. Where it is because it is like so many movies, uh, in a way, kind of feels like we are making fun at the conceit of these types of horror movies, or even like Stephen King in general. Um, mm-hmm. which is not the tone of this movie, but every like once in a while, you're like, man, if they were, if this was self aware, this would be, I'd be dying, <laughs> like. Which makes me wonder about that, but I mean, I I can't imagine that this was ever going to be not just a you know straightforward the the th- you know Stephen King thriller, right? Do you think if a big alien ship like that crashed where you lived, and the aliens were just hanging around outside the ship before there was a military presence, would you want to go see them? Mm. Yes. Yeah, yes. of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I'd I feel... would bake them brownies or something. What would you do? <laughs> I, well, I feel like I was, you know, I was talking about this with someone the other day in relation to this, all this UAP business was, I think it would be a little bit mind shattering to see an actual alien. Like, I think if an yeah. alien walked out in front of you, you would be like, what the fuck? And something in your brain would kind of click over. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think you would be so irrevocably changed in that moment that I don't know. Like if I heard that there's an alien in the next room, do you want to go look at it? I'd be like, 
let me think about it for a minute because I just feel like it would be such a, a shocking thing to confront that um, I don't, I don't know if I'd be in a big hurry to try to go make friends. Your life would change forever. Like from that moment on. So yeah, absolutely it would. And then what if they're fucking creepy looking like, especially the ones in Dreamcatcher, janky ass CGI aliens. They look, they look ugly as sin. You don't Uh want to be anywhere near these things. You know, wow, the coloring of this movie. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> the, the plasticky CGI. Yeah, I guess the coloring is all personal preference, but oh boy, it's just like a like a nasty kind of like green color throughout the whole thing. Except for mm-hmm. the no, those are pretty shots. That's the yeah. only time I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Mind Palace has some good looking stuff in it too. Like, oh, yeah, but it, it is it is odd. It's like the nighttime stuff has that kind of day for night, like the colors just wrong, <laughs> you know, to it. But like all the warm interior stuff looks like a, a trillion bucks. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. There there is something about like the nighttime photography on this that always kind of stood out to me. Yeah, and Did- the uh, there's like a surprising amount of like gross humor uh-huh. i guess i use humor as a question because it's like I, I i didn't laugh but they were laughing the movie so i guess you could laugh at it but yeah just like everyone's orifices are shooting out aliens and it's like uh you know what is, after the credits there's like a fart scene jokes i don't know I, <laughs> I was just like i don't know this is just like you know par for the course of like four guys getting together or um is this just like trying to be faithful to the book uh so that's like a whole nother movie that's shoved in there well, i wonder because, because you have to remember like when the book because i you know i read the book when it came out this is like so King had his accident. He had he was in the, he was hit by that van, and for a, a hot second, a lot of us thought even if he survives this, maybe he's retiring. Maybe he's you know mm. one he might mm. not survive. There that was a very real possibility, and we're getting no more Stephen King. Uh, so when not only did he survive, he's like yeah, and I've been writing, and I'm like everybody was like you know hooray, Stephen King's still doing it, <laughs> uh-huh. and everybody was so excited to read the new book because and it was like fresh because we we newly reappreciated having King because we almost lost him you know oh, and wow. read it, reading the book and you know it starts off pretty strong and you're like okay you're you're getting like this is the Sting, Stephen King characterizations and then that hunter comes in and just starts <laughs> farting up a storm and I I remember even being in like 20 or whatever when the book came out <laughs> and going wait wait a fucking minute like what's going why is this dude just ripping ass all over this all over this cabin and then everything goes downhill from there but uh but in an odd way i guess that makes the uh, adaptation kind of uh, uh even a little bit more authentic to the reading experience where you're just like what the fuck is this like why is this dude just just trumpeting everywhere <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't do. I don't. You know, this isn't a thing. In my experience, this is not a thing that dudes do. Okay, like God. hanging out, cabins, ripping ass, ripping yeah. ass everywhere. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Maggie, when you get together with your your like, let's say three to four best friends, mm-hmm. are you ripping ass in front of each other? Uh, no. Yeah. No. I no. can't like who, knowledge if we've done it. You know. We'll we'll call guilty, sure. but right, no, yeah, not, but not with the glee and jubilance that. that, 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 that. 
it seems like a ritual for them. That, that seems like part of the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's just another gross element to it, an already like kind of gross sort of fucking story. Yeah. You know, Maggie, you might, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, some of the background on King writing this. Like he originally was going to call this uh, book Cancer. Oh my God, really? Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. And, and the, the kernel of the idea, when you listen to King talk about it, it's really interesting, actually, because he was just like, you know, I think he was very specifically talking about uh, the bathroom being the idea that like the spark of the idea and how he had a realization that like pretty much any real life horror that we face, we find a find out about it in the bathroom, whether it's like blood in the stool or you see your look, you find a, a, a a dangerous mole in the mirror that you didn't see before. It's like, there's something about the bathroom of being the origin of our real life horror. And like, when you hear him talk about that, you're like, fuck yeah, this is incredible. And, And that's why I think he, like, his original idea was to call this cancer, you know, was, was, mm-hmm. uh, but can, can you imagine? I think it was Tabitha that talked him out of it and, and yeah. good work, Tabby on that one. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating setup for a story that obviously had ends up like addressing that in zero possible way. Right. Wow. Um, That's like, that happens sometimes like a writer will say their idea and then you'll yeah. read their idea written after they've done it. It's like, that's mm-hmm. not what you said. <laughs> that's not, <laughs> yeah. not the idea. That's not at all the idea. Uh, the execution leaves something to be desired, sir. Yeah. I, I yeah. wonder if King would like, if he would just like call a mulligan on this and start from that idea now when he's not, you know, under one in writing this in incredible pain and under mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the effects of Oxycontin. Um, I wonder what that would look like now. Cause he, King is like kind of, uh, said you know am i bad on on this on this book and calls it calls it mm-hmm. not not uh not great and so like he knows he knows that it doesn't work uh i don't want him to uh to do it i think he i would much rather see him you know continue writing what he's passionate about versus trying to fix a past mistake but it, it does make me curious thinking if you took that initial premise of the bathroom is a horror location for real life, mm-hmm. you know, scary, you know, shit mm-hmm. that people have to deal with. And like the, <clears throat> the Stephen King of today, taking that as the jumping off point, what he would do, because I don't think it would be Dreamcatcher. I think you I need drugs to do Dreamcatcher. Something about it. <laughs> it work. But that's the connecting piece, you know, like your brain firing at synapses that wouldn't exist otherwise. Well, is there anything else we have to say about Dreamcatcher? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, any, is there any connection to 9-11 for you guys when you watch it? Does that come up? <laughs> Do you think about it? No, go, no, please oh, elaborate. Yeah. I mean, not, not really for me either, but I would say like one of the six movies that's in here is like a kind of about like the industry, military, the industrial right. complex, you know, came out yeah, like, uh, you know. To within the range of when people were looking for their movies to tell them how to feel about uh, uh, conflicts in you know other parts and other countries, yeah. Right. I mean, I was, I was too young to to have um, a thought on it really. Uh, but in retrospect, to this one, I'm like, what did is that was that conscious? Probably not. But yeah, there. you're not wrong. It's not like uh, 
you know, Spielberg's War of the Worlds where he's like actively right. using nine mm-hmm. eleven imagery, you know, to right uh you know, to kind of make the invasion story work. Mm-hmm. But you're not wrong in in like and that at that time, you know, you had that initial post nine eleven unification where everybody was like, let's go stop the people who did this. And then all that, did, you know, got really complex and muddied real fast as we were invading places that had nothing to do with it. And, you know, it, and all this other stuff was going on. And there was a very big rising uh, anti uh, military sentiment, especially on the left. And, you know, this this I'm pretty sure that Lawrence Kasdan, you know, having written Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark, isn't a fan of uh, of uh, kind of a fascistic military uh, stuff. Um, so maybe that's, you know, one of the reasons why he kind of hyper focused on Colonel Kurtz and just like this military outfit that's not really authorized by the government but like mm. I, I, it's in this weird zone because they're like the the anti-alien force that's kind of independent of the military force but has all the military you know funding and whatnot so i don't know maybe, but maybe you're right maybe that all has to tie into that kind of anti-war and anti uh you know aggressive military sentiment because the military aren't the good guys in this uh, scenario uh, at all you know, they're run by a, a, a madman, and even his, even his second in command, played by Tom Sizemore, the late Tom Sizemore, uh, who is very well known for being the uh, the kind of crazy one. Like when Tom Sizemore, the crazy one, is sitting there going, "God damn, this is a step too far," uh, you know, you know, you're you're, <laughs> you're going too too wild in that direction. So yeah, I do wonder if um, if there is kind of a post nine eleven anti military uh complex thing going on one thing i will add to that is just kind of tangential is that yeah i feel like the the kurtz of and isn't it curtis in the book didn't they change it yeah Yeah. like the the morgan freeman's character in the book is is more unhinged right oh i think it's vice versa i think they call him Uh, curtis in the movie and it's kurtz in the book yeah yeah i remember i remember the version of that character in the book being a lot uh i don't know crazier just a little more like visibly insane or you know a little a little more unhinged than than freeman is in the movie because he comes across mostly as just like ultra rah rah marines you know right military hardware type versus like oh this guy's out of his fucking mind which (laughs) you know he definitely is in the book so do do you think that that they intended to cast Arlie Ermey in this role and then they couldn't get him so they just gave Morgan Freeman his eyebrows? Is that the Oh wow. Is that the thought because it seems to be like he's definitely playing an Arlie Ermey type. It's definitely a knowing nod. Somebody in there sure. knew knew that they're like we we want to make him look like the drill instructor from Full Jacket, you know. I'd never made that connection. So Oh yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It, it makes me wonder if that if that uh, if that was a thought or a conversation that had happened, and they're like, "No, Morgan Freeman wants to do the movie. We have to put him in there somewhere." It's like, well, wh- what can he play? <laughs> Kurtz. I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, that's, that's the best explanation I've heard yet for the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else could it? Be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see Arlie Ermy in Seven. Like the the eyebrows there, pretty much the eyebrows from from uh, Dreamcatcher. Yeah, for so. sure. For sure. Yeah. Very astute observation. Very there you go. On. That's what I'm here for. There's yeah. layers to the, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> a rich text. Yeah. 
we <laughs> may also be giving this too much credit. You know, <laughs> history will bear out on that. I would do a backflip of joy if uh, if we could get Lawrence Kasdan on the show to just kind of like. Now let's just talk about like what, yeah. just what happened. Let, yeah. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's, were, let's start there. What were you, you doing? Know? There yeah. should be an oral history. It feels like. Uh, oh for sure. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Waiting to be made. Fuck! I fucked up. I did an oral history of the mist for slash film. I should have done Dreamcatcher. It is the it's the twentieth anniversary this year too. Back in March, you missed it, but fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to wait another 20 years. Yes. Or another five. It gives you five years to get your oral history off the ground for the next Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) I'll need that runway for for something uh, with this breadth of of, uh, deepness and and complexity. Yeah. 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 Well... I think uh, I think we've reached the natural conclusion to this this mm. conversation. But um, Maggie, thank you so much for being here. Uh, where where can people find you? Where can they find your stuff? What are you working on next? You know, tell oh. us all that. Oh, great! Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Talk of course, about this wonderful film, uh, giving me an excuse uh, to watch and read it again. Um, you read it yeah. again for this. I did. Oh, Although this, this last time it was, I was also doing work while watching it. Uh, and it was my friend's first time seeing it, you know, which is just <laughs> to watch someone else watch it. I really think that's actually <laughs> my favorite thing to do with this movie. Um, I thought you were going to say you were doing Oxycontin at the time. Which oh my was, God. <laughs> uh, regrets. The, yes. the sixth time. <laughs> that's yeah. really yeah, that's, yeah. Then I'll really get it. The sixth an- anniversary on. is the Oxycontin anniversary. Yes. <laughs> that's true. Just wheel out a whiteboard and start. It makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense. Um, yeah. So if you uh, want to uh, find me anywhere, um, yeah, you can find uh, my video essays on YouTube. Uh, it's just, at my name, Maggie May Fish. Um, May spelled M-A-E, uh, not like the month. Um, yeah, and I'm on all the social media sites that are going under. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's still it's, still it's probably fun. for the best. Probably for the best. Oh, definitely for the best. I don't. I don't like. I don't. I don't. I'm yeah. more of a luddite the older I get. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Instagram, I post fun things. So yeah, follow me there. Um, any other spots? Feel free to, yeah. Oh, and also, uh, Unrated <laughs> is on Nebula. So, um, if you are subscribed to Nebula, you can watch it for free. Um, yeah, that's, uh, right that's on. Added. Sweet. Well, thank you again so much for, uh, for joining us for this conversation and, uh, forcing us to revisit. Dreamcatcher again. I don't think that doesn't uh, seem like a sincere thank you, Scott. It's not a sincere thank you. That's true. Um, (laughs) We're on the same page. Yeah. Uh, You know, um, this this will probably be the last time we touch on Dreamcatcher for a while. I'm done with this shit. Let it lie. (laughs) Yeah, I think we've I think we've covered all the bases on this one, and Mm. there's just. Ugh, I'm not doing this to myself again. No. Remind me not to do this to myself again. All right, I'll remind you, right. but, you know, uh, I guess there's only one thing left to say, and that's SSDD, y'all. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm leaving. Many thanks to Maggie Mae Fish for joining us for yet another Dreamcatcher discussion. Really do appreciate her making the time and coming on. She was a great guest. Uh, maybe don't appreciate the title so much, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I think we have to retire this one for a while. Like, uh... <laughs> 
it's um i was very curious to talk to someone who had seen it that number of times on purpose uh, and uh, uh we have we have uh we have accomplished that and i now feel like we've come at dreamcatcher from any number of angles but uh this one's i i think we're going to put this one on the shelf with shawshank and uh uh maybe the shining and um give it give it some time to breathe cool yeah. your heels dreamcatcher I'm more than happy to retire Dreamcatcher, but now that I've said that, we're going to talk to some incredibly uh, popular, famous, amazing guests. It's like, Dreamcatcher is my favorite number one thing, and we'll have to grit our teeth and bear it once again, but you know. <laughs> uh, I'm not Weasel. watching it again. I'll tell you that. I'm not watching it again. <laughs> That's true. And, and Maggie did a lovely job. Uh, really enjoyed having her on the show, but yeah. um, you know, uh, unless Steven Spielberg's asking for Dreamcatcher, we're not, we're not doing Dreamcatcher. Can you imagine... Yeah, he'd be like, that would be uh, very funny. Yeah, that would be incredible. So, Stephen, yes, that's your open invitation to come on the Kingcast and yes. uh, talk about Dreamcatcher and nothing else. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so let's talk about what we got going on next week. Next week, we are going to be returning to the anthology format, and we will be delving once again into Creep Show, and we are doing so with a fairly interesting guest. Uh, uh, what can we say to tease this guest, Scott? I assume we can say he's I a musician. I don't know. I kind of want to just tell them. You want to tell everybody? Look, yeah, look I, at you. Well, I kind of want to tell them, but here's the thing: I don't know that we can tell them <laughs> without an announcing because they haven't mission. announced the thing yet. And mm-hmm. you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do it. Yeah. All right. We've already booked the travel. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do you want me to do it? Please. Okay. So listen, um, since we started the show, one of the most uh, oft requested guests that we have had is the, the front man for a band called Ice Nine Kills by the name of Spencer Sharness. Um, Spencer is, you know, again, he's the lead singer of this band. Uh, it is a uh, rock band. They are a horror themed rock band. They write a lot of songs based on horror movies and also have uh, some of which are about Stephen King's stuff. And um, it just so happens that Ice Nine Kills and Spencer Charnas also run a horror convention, their very own horror convention in Danvers, Massachusetts, which is going on next weekend. Uh, it's called The Silver Scream. And uh, they have a bunch of horror luminaries and other uh, hangers on uh, of the of the horror community out to to celebrate different types of horror. And so you get, there's live shows, there's panels, there's all kinds of stuff going on out of this thing. Well, we were invited out and we we're going to be appearing out there with a special guest. We're still working on the special guest, but to promote our appearance there and to also, you know, promote the con itself, Spencer Sharness is going to be on our guest next week. And uh, we're going to talk to him about Creep show. We're also going to talk a little bit about Pet Cemetery, some of the some of the Stephen King stuff that has inspired his music, and yeah. um, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this this awesome convention that they throw. So if you can make it to Danvers, Massachusetts next weekend, you know, come see us. And uh, if you can't, you'll get to hear from us plus Spencer Charnas next Wednesday. And by next weekend, we mean the weekend after next from when you're hearing this. So yes. we're talking, what's it, the second weekend in September? So September 8th is the exact day that we're doing our thing. Uh, but I believe it begins on the 7th. I think it runs the 7th through the 9th or 10th, something like that. 
Something like that. Yeah. So Scott and I will be out there with bells on. Uh, if we get the guests that we think we're going to get, you guys are going to lose your damn full minds. So uh, if we don't, we have a couple of really great uh, runners up that would be uh, just as equally awesome. And so we're, we're really excited to have uh, our appearance at the con. And I haven't really spent much time in Danvers. And uh, I know that that place is near and dear to Scott's heart, thanks to its connection session to nine. Session 9. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. uh, that'll be fun. It'll be a fun one. And then on the Patreon, we all, we have a pretty big Patreon episode this this Friday as well. Uh, we have the cinematographer Eben Bolter is joining us. Uh, you will know him from his work on The Last of Us recently. He shot episodes three, four, and five. I've always wanted to have a bonus episode that focused on the cinematography of Stephen King because uh, there's been like a, a murderer's row of just amazing cinematographers that have shot King adaptations mm-hmm. and in order to have that conversation, we wanted to have a real cinematographer on. And so we invited Evan on and uh, to talk about the cinematography of King. And I think it's, it's a really interesting, it's an enlightening episode. We talk about how cinematographers uh, can do amazing work with one light and how some can have a million dollars worth of lights and make it look flat. And uh, yes, uh, we talk about in particular, we, we focus on Roger Deakins's work on Shawshank Redemption and why that's a masterclass in cinematography. This is a bonus episode where you pitched the idea and I just could not for the life of me figure out how we were going to keep the ball in the air for an hour on this <laughs> uh-huh. conversation. Like even with Evan involved, even with, you know, I was just like, what the fuck are we going to talk about? And um, I am really happy to say this was one of my favorite bonus. Episodes. I had a blast recording yeah. that one. He has just a ton of really interesting stuff to say. And uh, I learned a thing or two during that episode. I think wow. um, I think people are really going to like this one. It's it's a curveball, but it it absolutely works. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, so if you want to listen to that, head on over to patreon.com slash the Kingcast and sign up. You'll want to do that. We got uh, brand new episodes of Shelbyville getting ready to debut in October. And that yes, will be yes. only for our uh, Patreon subscribers and our $10 a month, the Gunslinger tier. If you want to get in on that action, and you damn well should, make sure to head on over and uh, sign up. We have a really fun community over there. You sign up, you instantly get access to... God, we're probably in the 70s, 80s, 90s-ish bonus episodes at this point. They're all ep- show length, and like we don't really skim over there. So There's got to be... I would feel gotta like there's got to be over 100 of them. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well over 100. We, we're talking commentaries... Full length, regular, like focus on the Stephen King title style episodes and then like stuff like these curveball ones like uh, Eben Bolter coming in to talk about the cinematography of King. We have interviews. We got mailbags. We got so much fun stuff in the discord uh, and a discord. Hell yeah. And the discord's popping off as usual. So uh, come over and sign up. We have a lot of fun over there. And if you're listening to the show only through the weekly Wednesday main feed episodes, you're only hearing half the show. I think that about does it for this week, though, right? Yeah, that's it. So we'll see you all next week in the main feed for uh, Creep Show with uh, Mr. Spencer Charnas. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. Thank you.